Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Theater Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, Be Kind Rewind looks at the film you voted for. For our featured movies this week, a trio of heroes work together to save the world in The Marvels, a serial killer terrorizes a quiet community in It's a Wonderful Knife, a boarding school teacher gets a lesson of his own in The Holdovers, the Nativity Story gets a musical treatment in Journey to Bethlehem, and a hitman goes from hunter to hunted in The Killer. It was another busy week, so let's get started. First up, the Marvel Universe ramps up its power with a trio of heroes. This is the Marvels. She's targeting every planet we call home. I would never choose to bring anybody into this. You are not the only thing standing between this and the universe. Oh my god, we're a team. In Marvel's latest adventure, Oscar winner Brie Larson suits up again as Captain Marvel Carol Danvers, this time joined by Iman Vianney's Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, and Tayana Paris's Monica Rambeau. The film starts with Darben, played by Zawe Ashton, discovering a powerful quantum band that, when paired with a matching band, gives her the power that unleashes a superpower. Her homeworld of Hala is suffering through a civil war that has left them without air, water, and sunlight. Darben pairs the band with her staff and tears apart a jump point in space. When Darben does this, it causes Carol, Kamala, and Monica to all switch places whenever any of them uses their powers, forcing them into situations where they are fighting each other's enemies as well as destroying the Khan's humble home. In the middle of all this is Nick Fury, played again by Oscar nominee Samuel L. Jackson, who is trying to resolve the conflict between the Kree and Skull Empires. Realizing the three of them can work together to battle Darben and stop the intergalactic demolition, but can Carol, Kamala, and Monica overcome the powerful force of Darben in time to save the world? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a shove-it. And I give this film a... Mild shove it. So, this isn't as bad as the reviews are saying. It is mildly entertaining enough throughout, but not enough to give it a see it. Marvel movies are generally not the type to showcase excellence in acting, so I won't even dive deep into that. But there are some scenes where the special effects are shockingly bad. It's amazing how so far into these films we are, and they let something be released that frankly looks unfinished. The storyline can be confusing at times, and the tone of the film never really settles into one type of tone. It was somewhere in between something you'd see as a TV movie on Disney+, and a theatrical film. It never settled into one or the other. And while I give it a shove it, I don't necessarily feel like I wasted my time, but it's not something I ever really want to watch again. I think at this point the Marvel Universe needs to pump the brakes a little and stop turning out movie and show after movie and show because the marketplace is kind of saturated, and they're all kind of blending into each other at this point. So maybe it's time to take a little bit of a break for a year or two so that there can be an increased demand to go along with the endless, endless supply of titles. But that's just my two cents. 
Next, a serial killer goes on a bender just in time for the holidays, and a local girl witnesses what would happen if she didn't exist. This is It's a Wonderful Knife. Last Christmas still haunts me. Time to let that go. No one cares. Everyone would be better off if I was never born. Did you see that? Did the power go out? Oh my god. I stood under the aurora and said everyone would be better off if I never existed. Well, wish granted. Set in the idyllic town of Angel Falls, this film stars Justin Long as real estate developer Henry Waters, a man who is trying to modernize this hokey small town to be more cutting edge. Holding up his progress is Roger Evans, played by William B. Davis. Evans refuses to sell his home where he lives with his granddaughter Kara, played by Hannah Hughes. On Christmas Eve, Evans is visited by a serial killer in a white hood who proceeds to murder Evans followed by Kara and Kara's boyfriend, who are attending a high school party. At the party, Winnie Carruthers, played by Jane Widdop, manages to kill the killer in self-defense while also revealing his identity. Flash forward a year later, and Winnie is struggling with the events from the previous Christmas. She's been rejected by colleges and her parents, played by Joel McHale and Aaron Boyles, who wish she would just move on from the trauma and get on with her life. Adding to the drama, she finds out her boyfriend has been cheating on her. All of this leads to Winnie to wish she was never born and that the world would be better off without her in it. She gets her wish. She is now able to observe Angel Falls through the lens of not existing. The problem? Because she doesn't exist, no one has killed the killer who is still roaming the streets on a murderous rampage. The only person who can help Winnie is outcast Bernie, played by Jess McLeod. Can the two rewrite history in time to save Angel Falls? I give this film a... Huge shove it. This movie was terrible. Sometimes when I go to movies, I'm watching them, and I'm thinking, how in the hell do people think this is of high enough quality to be released theatrically? Uh, This is one of those movies. The quality was so low, the script was just so terrible, and the entire thing is just a mess. The thing is, the acting is atrocious, and by revealing the killer almost immediately, any suspense was taken off the plate for the rest of the film. The film is being advertised as being from the writer of the film Freaky. That film was a fun, unique take on the Freaky Friday films, but with a horror twist. This one takes the classic Christmas film, It's a Wonderful Life, and turns it on its head and makes a mess of it. When I go to the mystery movies at Regal, they have, you know, what they have once or twice a month. People on Reddit inevitably say how horrible it was, it's the worst film yet, blah, blah, blah. Most of the time, I just think they're being gripers and that nothing will ever please these people. In this case, when this one was shown, I agree with them. This was terrible. Don't waste your time or money. Next, when a cantankerous boarding school teacher is charged with supervising students over Christmas break, things don't go as planned. This is The Holdovers. Do you think I want to be babysitting you? No, I was praying your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a flying saucer. My father's dead. You don't tell a boy that's been left behind at Christmas that nobody wants him? What's wrong with you? There's nobody here, okay? You stay out of my way, and I'll stay out of yours. Let me sleep in 
Now most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. Teachers too. You know that, right? I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. Oscar-winning screenwriter and director Alexander Payne reunites with his sideways star, Paul Giamatti, who plays Paul Hunnam, a cranky, strict professor at Barton Academy in the early 1970s. Hunnam is the type of teacher that every student dreads. He's a hard grader, severely lacking in a sense of humor, and has perfected a condescending tone to everyone he interacts with. Add a high level of social awkwardness, and it is clear why he lives a life of solitude. Every holiday break leaves a handful of Barton students without a place to go home to because of various issues. Hunnam has been chosen this year to be the one to watch over the four kids who have been deserted for Christmas. When a stroke of luck leads three of the four kids to having a chance to spend the holidays off campus, Hunnam is left with the head cook, Mary, played by Divine Joy Randolph, and his student, Angus, played by Dominic Sessa. Angus and Hunnam have a tense relationship both in and out of the classroom. Hunnam knows that Angus is smart, but still feels the need to assert power over him. Through various events, the three people, each having tortured souls for different reasons, realize that they have been placed in each other's lives to learn a valuable lesson. When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it, and I give this film a... Huge see-it! This is one of my favorite films of the year so far. It was a delight to watch. Paul Giamatti has never been better, and this role fits him like a glove. Dominic Sessa is excellent as Angus. He has the look of a teenager in the 70s and just the right amount of teenage angst. Divine Joy Randolph is terrific as Mary as well and brings a lot of heart to the story. You know, there's never any doubt where the story's going to go, but it is written so perfectly and performed so fantastically that any predictability doesn't matter. Alexander Payne's last film, Downsizing, was a critical and commercial dud, although I didn't mind it too much. However, he hits a home run here, and I hope this breaks out during the holiday season and during award season, because it is, like I said, one of the best movies I've watched this year. It is currently in limited theaters, and I believe it's expanding even further this coming weekend. If it's playing near you, go see it. Next, the Christmas season starts early with a musical retelling of the Nativity Story. This is Journey to Bethlehem. Mary, God has chosen you to have a son, the king of all kings. This wasn't a dream. An angel came to me. It's hard to have faith. It's hard to believe. Look at the star. The future holds more. This is it. Let's go. There are too many divine king is to be born in your land. Why would I help find a new king in my kingdom? <laughs> Former Glee writer and music producer Adam Anders makes his directorial debut here with a musical retelling of the Nativity Story, starring Fiona Palomo as Mary, a young girl who bristles at the concept of an arranged marriage. She soon is introduced to Joseph, played by Milo Mannheim. Let's just say things get off to a rocky start. Mary wants to become a teacher and has no interest in marriage, and Joseph is eager to meet Mary and live a life of wedded bliss. One night, Mary is greeted by the angel Gabriel, played by Lecrae. Gabriel informs Mary that she has been chosen to carry and birth the Son of God. 
Soon, there is a rumor going around that the newborn king will be born as the Son of God. This does not go over well with King Herod, played by Oscar nominee Antonio Banderas. He enlists his son, played by Joel Smallbone, to find the mother-in-waiting so that he can stop the birth from happening and maintain control of his kingdom. Oh, one more thing. This story is told in part through modern pop-style songs. I give this film a... Mild shove it. I don't know what to make of this movie. While I think it's a nice family film that some people will enjoy, there were just too many eye-rolling moments for me. Using modern pop-style songs to tell the story was an odd choice to me. It didn't seem to go with the story or the setting, and just kind of made the whole thing feel inauthentic. The costumes and the setting all looked pretty decent, but the whole thing felt like it was a local musical review. It felt very stagey. The one shining moment is Banderas, who was clearly having a hell of a time in his role chewing up any scenery he can get his hands on. It was like the human version of Prince John in Disney's Robin Hood movie. Um, But I didn't mind it because it gave some levity to the film. Overall, if you're looking for a modern take on the classic story that you want to take your kids to, this may do the trick to get them into the Christmas spirit. I mean, it's harmless, but overall, I didn't think it was great. Finally, an assassin faces an existential crisis. This is the killer. Forbid empathy. This is what it takes if you want to succeed. Three-time Oscar-nominated director David Fincher returns with an adaptation of Alex Nolan's graphic novel. In the title role, Oscar-nominated actor Michael Fassbender plays a hitman who opens the film on a stakeout disguised as a German tourist. For the first ten minutes or so, we are taken inside the mind of a killer as he plots his assassination and his justification of such a life. After a few days, he finally gets his eye on his target, who appears across the street. The killer sees his target being entertained by a dominatrix. With his gun pointed right at the target, he pulls the trigger only to discover he missed the target, instead killing the entertainer. Knowing that he is now up shit creek with his boss, he rushes home to the Dominican Republic to find that his girlfriend has been attacked and is in the hospital in intensive care. He knows this means his mistake has now made him the next target. Instead of fleeing to safety, the killer decides to exact revenge on those who came after him and his girlfriend. And he goes on a rampage to find those responsible. I give this film a... See it. As director of such films as The Social Network, Gone Girl, Fight Club, and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, David Fincher is a master at suspense. He knows how to ramp up the tension for viewers in a way that few people can. A lot of the tension left me on the edge of my seat, much in the same way that Spielberg did with his masterpiece Munich. My viewing experience for this was very similar. He also uses the soundtrack quite effectively to add to that tension. 
Fassbender is terrific in this role, and having just watched him earlier this week in the upcoming film Next Goal Wins, seeing him do a complete 180 in this role was something to marvel at. He is good. This is a tale of obsession, control, and power, and the story maintains that focus from beginning to end. It is a sleek, tense thriller. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, The Marvels is in theaters now and is a mild shove-it. It's a Wonderful Knife is in theaters now and is a huge shove-it. The Holdovers is in theaters now and is a huge see-it, and it's my pick of the week. Journey to Bethlehem is in theaters now and is a mild shove-it. And The Killer is streaming on Netflix now and is a see-it, and for what it's worth came very close to being my pick of the week. Now it's time to see which film you voted for. This is Be Kind Rewind. Continuing on my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was a film set at a college. Your choices were Legally Blonde, Goodwill Hunting, and Back to School. You voted and chose Goodwill Hunting. Meet Will Hunting. I've been looking over this rap sheet of yours. Assault, theft, resisting. I've spoken to the judge, and he's agreed to release you under my supervision. Really? But you have to meet with a therapist every week. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> For the first time in his life, he's about to meet his match. How many shrinks you go to before me? Five. This boy's genius is unparalleled. I need someone who can get through to him. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. In this film, Oscar winner Matt Damon plays Will Hunting, a junior at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Will has lived a life of struggle, but he possesses an incredible gift of brilliance when it comes to mathematics. He doesn't realize that this gift is what can be his ticket out of his blue-collar roots. He can't even imagine leaving his childhood home within Boston's South End neighborhood. He can't dream beyond spending his life working construction and hanging in bars at night with his best friend Chucky, played by Damon's real-life best friend, Oscar winner Ben Affleck. It isn't until three people come into his life who try to lead him toward a path to academic success. A math professor, played by Stellan Skarsgård, a love interest medical student, played by Minnie Driver, and a kind-hearted therapist, played by Robin Williams, in his Oscar-winning role. Goodwill Hunting was released on December 5, 1997, and was a critical and commercial success, earning $225 million on a $10 million budget. Damon started writing the film as a class assignment for a playwriting course when he was a student at Harvard. The assignment was to write a one-act play. Instead, he wrote a 40-page screenplay. Although, according to Damon, only one scene remained verbatim, the scene where he meets his therapist, Sean. He later asked Affleck to work with him on developing the script into a feature film screenplay. They completed it in 1994. Originally written as a thriller, actually, the concept was later changed into a relationship drama after Castle Rock president Rob Reiner urged them to instead focus on the therapist-patient relationship. Affleck and Damon lobbied the studio to cast them in the lead roles, a suggestion initially ignored as the studio wanted Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. When Castle Rock decided not to make the film, the script went back on the market, except this time the studios who once bid for the rights now had no interest. While filming the movie Chasing Amy, Affleck asked his director Kevin Smith for help shopping it to studios. Smith promised to hand-deliver it to Miramax Studios chief Harvey Weinstein, 
who ended up loving it and agreeing to cast Damon and Affleck in the film. The film then went into production with directors Mel Gibson and Michael Mann mentioned as possible directors. It eventually landed with Oscar nominee Gus Van Zandt to take the reins. The film earned nine Academy Award nominations, including one for relative newcomer Minnie Driver, who played Damon's love interest on and off screen. Driver initially wasn't wanted for the role as Weinstein felt that she wasn't cute enough for the role. In 2023 hindsight, knowing that pig, that probably meant she wasn't someone who would offer him sexual services. In addition to Driver's nomination, it also received nominations for Best Picture and Best Director, and it won two for Affleck and Damon for Best Original Screenplay and Robin Williams for Best Supporting Actor, which was a career highlight for him. When Williams suddenly passed away in 2014, the bench in Boston's Public Garden, where he and Damon's characters had their conversation, was turned into a memorial site with people leaving flowers and mementos in his honor. Damon, Affleck, and Driver would each go on to have a successful career thanks in large part to the success of this film that started off as a college assignment. Goodwill Hunting is available to stream on Max. The next Be Kind Rewind topic is Best Original Score Oscar Winner. Your choices are Mary Poppins, The Little Mermaid, and E.T. The Extraterrestrial. Come to my Instagram at SaderShoveIt to vote for which film I should focus on, and the post with the most likes will be next week's segment. So it's time for me to end this episode of Seder Shove It. I know there are millions of podcast choices for you to listen to, and I'm very grateful that you choose this one. Thank you so much. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed, and while you're at it, share this podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. Don't forget, you can drop me a line at cedarshoveit at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram and letterboxd at cedarshoveit and rate me wherever you get your podcasts. Come back next week to hear reviews of Oscar winner Taika Waititi's latest comedy, Next Goal Wins, and the latest in the Hunger Games series, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Oh, I hope there aren't too many snakes. I can't stand snakes. Anyway, until then, take care, everyone. Have a great week. This episode of See It or Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida, and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.